This week's podcast has to start with an apology. I don't know what went wrong with the audio, but people, it failed me. My side of the conversation recorded well, Julie's didn't, so it sounds pretty average. I've tried to salvage as much of it as I can from uh, my side of the audio bleed, but that's what it sounds like. It's a bit iffy. So if you like good quality audio, this is not the podcast for you. However, if you do want to push on, it is actually a really interesting and engaging conversation with a lady who has entered into the TV realm, not really by accident, but kind of. You know, it's it's a great conversation with Julie, our very first MasterChef, and at a time when MasterChef is in full swing and doing big business on 10, it's a great insight into not only the MasterChef side of things, but then continuing a career beyond your 15 minutes. And uh, look, it's wonderful. Please do hang in there. Like I said, if you don't like good audio, see you next week. But if you're going to press on and listen to a wonderful chat with Julie Goodwin, you're in for a treat. Welcome to Mulks TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, a little piece of everyone between the ages of 30 and 45 died at the news that Mr. Burns, Smithers, Reverend Lovejoy, Principal Skinner, Ned Flanders and more announced they were leaving The Simpsons. Well, at least the actor that has provided their voice for 26 seasons will be. Harry Shearer announced he wasn't able to make a deal with the producers of The Simpsons that met his expectations and so would be leaving the show, saying goodbye to a sizable pay packet rumoured to be $1 million per episode. $1 million per episode. With that sort of money, you'd think he'd be able to put his petty grievances aside and work like a professional, but he's probably too busy having a money fight. Since the dawn of time, man has searched far and wide for the best things on TV. What to watch. How to watch. Who's watching what. Free to wear this. VPN that. Plug in and listen to what other people think about what you are and are not watching. It's Mogs TV Talk, the podcast, with your host, Steve Mock. Joining me this week, a lady who went from being the mother of three to the mother of the nation when she won the very first series of MasterChef Australia in 2009. A lady who has continued to build her cooking empire, first as an author, then as the principal of cooking school in Julie's Place. A lady who most recently was seen on our screens as a failed thief, all in the name of flavour. On I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, it is Australian TV royalty, the very first MasterChef, Julie Goodwin. Oh, what an introduction. That's <laughs> It's worthy of someone of your high uh, position, Ms. Goodwin. No, no, that's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> it was so funny. I have to say I was watching a, a, a massive fan of I'm a Celebrity and I enjoyed just the entire thing a little bit iffy about the winner, but that's beside the point. But to see you come in and embrace the entire thing wholeheartedly and then just, I, I don't know whether it was that you were unaware of how much they were filming or whether what was going on, but to have you go, wow, this would go really well with dinner and to just kind of to see the footage of you stealing some stuff to make dinner taste better, totally your, your reasons were valid for the good of the camp uh, and they cracked down on you. It was so bad. Oh, look, I'll tell you what, because we went to that jungle bar and they had this juice thing where you could you could just make any kind of juice and mm. eat whatever we wanted, and then we had to leave, and we had to leave it all behind. We weren't allowed to take any back. We were going back to the absolutely dire, soul-destroying rice and beans with mm. no salt, nothing. <laughs> and, I mean, jeez, I'm only human. It, it, precisely. So what is it that you did uh, attempt to, to take away, Julie? Well, I stole a piece of ginger. <laughs> I was so excited when I got back to camp that I was kind of showing it. Everywhere. And <laughs> that kind of behaviour. That kind of behaviour is what this nation is based upon. <laughs> I know. I know. I think of those, those dumb and dumber thieves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right up there. You stole a knob of ginger, uh, and that's what got us everyone into trouble. Give back the ginger. <laughs> oh dear, I had to give it back too. I know it was a so, and your face—you were so crestfallen. I know. Well, you, you don't know what it's like. It's it's terrible to be in a situation where the food tastes like nothing. 
nothing and there's barely any of it. We're all starving. We're all delirious. And we're not just talking about a night at the Fat Duck either. So we will uh, <laughs> we will push on. We'll talk more about your exploits uh, on television shortly, uh, Julie. Get all your TV news at MulksTVTalk.com. But first, the news. By the time this podcast goes to air, Don Draper, Roger Sterling and all the other madmen will have put on their hats and coats and lit cigarettes as they exit the building for one final time. Rumours abound as to how the series is supposed to finish, mainly focused around John Hamm's Draper, including Don being revealed as the falling man from the opening credits to the suggestion that Don is plain hijacker D.B. Cooper, though creator Matthew Weiner has poured cold water on the ladder. Whichever way the spilled scotch dribbles, the glacially slow-moving series will be sorely missed. Vale, Sterling, Cooper, Draper, Price indeed. Now, Julie, have you been a fan of the Mad Men? No. Not at all? I'm listening to that going, I've got no idea what <laughs> Well, they're, they're, um, it was a show. That's all you need to worry about. Glacially moving. Sounds like I didn't miss three months, or well, did I? Well, there were, no, you missed heaps, like eight years, seven seasons of this amazing TV show. Uh, but it's specialised in these wonderful sort of episodes where everything and nothing seemed to happen from a plot perspective. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Set in the 60s uh, around the Madison Avenue advertising agencies, the, thus the Mad Men, um, yeah, okay. when it was a different world, when women were typists and not much more. Uh, and a real, you know, it was, it was around a real time of change and revolution for America, and we saw that reflected um, in the, in our television boxes. Okay, well, it sounds like I did something. I don't know if I've got the time to catch up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll try and read an article. I'll listen to the podcast. We'll fill you in next week. That's right. We'll let you know how it went. There is more news from one tragedy to another. In a couple of days' time, a podcast time, the great Dave Letterman will finish up his final episode of The Late Show. A career spanning over 33 years, Letterman started as the host of Late Night on NBC before moving to host The Late Show on CBS after being overlooked by NBC to host The Tonight Show uh, after Johnny Carson's retirement when Jay Leno took over. His penultimate episode airing in Australia on Wednesday will feature his most frequent and first guest, Bill Murray. When questioned about his career, Letterman offered, I've been really lucky to have had so many people help me along the way, not least of which that Steve Vizard guy, he was a real visionary. <laughs> I remember Steve Vizard's version of the Letterman show. It was identical. Yes, down to the, uh, the bare bones of it. In fact, very famously, yes. Oh, the, and the, the arm pulls with the drum rolls and everything. Yep. Very, very famously. Uh, Elle McPherson appeared on uh, Tonight Live with Steve Vizard in Australia and in the conversation she's sort of come out being introduced and walks on set and sort of sits down and is all you know nice and happy and bubbly and all of those sorts of things and a little way into the conversation with Steve she said um, did you know there's a guy in America called Dave Letterman who's copying you <laughs> she did. if I can find the audio I'm going to drop it into the podcast about here uh, and it's just delightful. But no, absolutely she did. There's no uh, knowledge as to whether she did that, uh, you know, tongue planted firmly in cheek. One would hope so. Uh, or whether she just had no idea, which, look, she's a supermodel. Oh, gold. It's, that's, that's the biggest gold we've got going on. So it, it, did you watch when Dave? You said, uh, yeah, 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 I did occasionally. But when you said his quote said, I've had many, I've had many people who've helped me, I thought she was just going to stop after the word people. <laughs> Well, yes, and and including some that tried to blackmail him and all sorts of things over knowledge around that. Um, It has been really interesting because the man's in his, I'm going to say, late 60s, early 70s probably. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a a reasonably young son, like early teens, uh, and he's uh, looking forward to spending a lot more time with his family and, of course, going to – to, to baseball with his son, like to watch his play, his son play and all of those sorts of things. Mm, I could imagine. Um, he's got a bit of a wandering eye, does Dave, but I guess that's all part of his roguish, uh, weird uncle charm, isn't it? Part of the glittering TV world. Yeah, man with the worst teeth in the world and the thickest glasses is a multi-billion dollar television star. Did you know? A little bit of uh, trivia here, Julie Goodwin. We can blame Dave Letterman for the rise of Ray Romano. Can we? Yes. Uh, well, uh, not long after Ray did his first stand-up 
on uh, The Late Show with Dave. Uh, his Dave's company, Worldwide Pants, got in touch with um, Ray's management and said, hey, look, we want to try and build a, a sitcom for you. Are you interested? Hello, everybody loves Raymond. I love everybody loves Raymond. As did thousands of people. It lives on in syndication now. Yeah, I know. It's on, like, it's on constantly. All the freaking time. 24 hours a day you can watch that. You'd think it was two and a half men. Did you hear some sad news about one of the little twin boys? Oh, yeah, very sad, yes. Very sad news. Just a, a terrible, terrible thing. Terrible thing. We all need to be very conscious of our, you know, our teenagers and where they're at. In the- mm, very much so. And, and highlights that it, it doesn't matter how much... You might think fame it makes things better. Uh, it doesn't. Oh, I think I think you can look across history and see that it's quite clear that it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, well, very true. We have one more bit of news, Julie, shall we? Oh, my God, all the news, Steve. I know, so much news. So much news. Nine unleashed their new series, Married at First Sight, on an unsuspecting population, and despite expectations to the contrary, nobody except the, the participants were impacted. That's all, that's all I have. So it didn't rate, is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, we'll certainly get to know as the numbers come out. Podcast time, it hasn't yet aired. So I think it will do. But we've had all sorts of people decry Married at First Sight as the, uh, the end of reality television and, and the end of the institution of marriage. It's, it's appalling and an abomination and all of those things. Interestingly enough, Julie, it's probably been the only thing that's managed to bring uh, the right wing uh, fans of marriage, people that think marriage is a wholly sacred thing, and uh, the very left-wing fans of marriage equality together. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I know. A television show did all that. I, I don't think, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a married person. I've mm-hmm. celebrated 20 years. <gasps> Get out of town. Um, so I'm very, um, it's a very deeply important part of my life. I'm also an advocate for um, equality and mm-hmm. so... I, I would love for gay people to be able to uh, to get married as well, and I just look at a show like that. And I just I, I do think it devalues the institution. It makes people look stupid, but mm. I don't think the show's important enough to have an impact on anything important. I know it's it's television, right? Yeah, the bad television. I mean, seriously, gross. <laughs> gross. No, and, and that's fair. Everyone, everyone is allowed to have their opinion on it. Yours is just as valuable as anybody else's. Congratulations, just quickly, on 20 years. That's no small achievement for a lady who doesn't look a day over 30. <laughs> Child bride, you reckon? Yeah, I reckon. We need to be talking to your husband. <laughs> no, he's a good boy. But the same age. You've been together since we were 18. So. Goodness. Since we were 24. Wow. Look at you guys go. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe if it had been an arranged marriage. Look at mine now. Well, who knows? And that indeed, I think, is part of what Merit at First Sight is going to uncover. Could Julie and Mick have been together longer had they been an arranged marriage? The problem is you've got to wait 15, 20 years before you know the answer to that, and who's going to care for that long? <laughs> That's exactly right. The Simpsons made, um, I think, great light of uh, the concept and, look, acknowledging that thousands, millions of people around the world have their marriage arranged for them and on the whole, that, that's generally okay. There are, there are always exceptions to the rule. Um, but the Simpsons did a great job in it when, of course, Apu, the, uh, the owner and manager of the Quickie Mart, um, got married and it was an arranged marriage by his parents and he met his wife, Manjula, for the first time as, uh, you know, she sort of uh, took her veil off standing at the altar with him uh, and he was all conflicted and he didn't know, you know, I'm getting married. I don't know this woman. Do I, I'm in America. Do I not just want to uh, get to know someone first before we get married? And her response to him was, ah, we can always get divorced. They high five, got married and they're still, still together having babies. Well, there you go. The great social commentary of our time. Yes. Has spoken. They've passed judgment. They have. Now, look. Sound wanting. I mean, very extremely. There's so much more news, but I think we'll leave all of the news uh, to the side of there. We'll just park it because there are uh, bigger things afoot, Julie. Wow. I don't know if I can take much more, Steve. Mox TV Talk. Well, it, on, on Mox TV Talk, the podcast, which we're very glad to have you on, I might add, uh, we have a little segment called For Reels, which is our own little special uh, reality TV uh, five quick questions. We just want simple answers, no big drama if you don't know it. In fact, usually it's funnier if you don't. Um, but given that you are the original MasterChef, we thought 
in in line with the fact that uh, season seven is on our screens on Channel Ten right now and undergoing somewhat a resurgence in popularity, then it would be a great opportunity for us to do a special MasterChef edition of For Reels. And let's see how well you know the series that made you famous. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> Are you ready? I am. Excellent. Question one. Name the five other MasterChef winners. Adam Liao, Kate Bratt, Emma Dean, Linton and Andy. Almost so very close. Oh, come on. Who do I miss? Brent Owens. Brent. And who's Linton? Did he come, did he come second? I think he came Brent. second. Of course it's Brent. Yeah, Brent. I saw him a couple of weeks ago. The most recent one. Uh, he was last year's MasterChef. Now, we're just talking about MasterChef Pure, I want to point out. We have had uh, a few other variants of MasterChef. I don't know the winner. No, that's all right. I don't think too many other people do either, least of all the people that were on them. Um, so good work. That was four out of four out of five of your fellow winners. Sorry, Brent. I don't think he listens, Julie. So, I mean, we all appreciate your apology. We'd like to think so. It's not the truth. Question two. Name the five people who have been hosts across all the MasterChef series. Okay, so Sarah Wilson was a host on my series. Tick. Um, are we talking Gary, Matt and George as hosts? A tick, tick, tick. That's four of the five. Um, okay, well, uh, gosh, professionals. Who Was it Marco? I don't think Marco. Oh, he did host professionals, correct? Tick. Then it's six people that have hosted MasterChef across the seasons. Oh, Anna Gare. Correct. And she hosted two series of MasterChef Junior. Mm. Amazing little prodigy. I know. Where are they now? Probably. Probably. Annoying their parents with increasing food budgets. Yeah, totally. Question three. What is a mystery box? Mystery box is made of plywood, (laughs) branded with the MasterChef logo, (laughs) and under it, comes a bunch of mystery ingredients which the contestants must use to create a dish. In my series, it was always in 30 minutes, but they give them all kinds of time nowadays. It's outrageous, correct? Outrageous. An alternative answer could have been death uh, because that's what it seems to be for some contestants. It certainly does weed out, uh, you know, the people that maybe have got some skills and some people that maybe haven't read enough cookbooks. I actually like the mystery box better than the invention test mm-hmm. just the simplicity of it I was running around in that pantry trying to find things and you know getting all discombobulated by all the ingredients just you know that used to freak me out but the mystery box was straightforward <laughs> question four rank these in order i.e who is the person that offers these things now of the three hosts the, the core hosts we look at now gary matt and george who has the best and worst tolerance for chili George has the worst, and Matt has. Who has the biggest sweet tooth? Gary. Of course he does. Who gives the best bear hug? Matt. Yep. Who is literally like? (laughs) He's massive. He is massive. He's such a tall man. Harshest marker. Gosh. See, from my memory, uh... oh, I don't really know the answer to that. They they were all harsh. <laughs> uh, deservedly so. They were never unfair. Never unfair. Uh, I don't know. Would it be George? Yeah, that's reasonable. Giver of best advice. You know what? I can't. I can't differentiate. They get. They all gave great advice to me. Matt. Matt's probably the most eloquent advice giver. Giver of worst advice. Oh, that'd be Gary and George when they come around mm-hmm. and just. Poke holes in your plan. <laughs> they do. Just to trip you up. They, they do love it, don't they? They come around a little bit of misdirection and all those sorts of things. Best poker face. Matt, you can't tell if he loves it or hates it. They're the exact same face. <laughs> most popular. No sitting on the fence on this one. We want a direct right. answer. Who is the most popular judge on MasterChef? Oh, is this quantifiable? Yeah. Oh, um. God, I'm going to say Matt. Is that right? Yeah, correct. We'll say that that's correct. So that's correct. I'll make it up. Yeah. Question five. Name three contestants from this year's season of MasterChef. Okay. There's Melita, um, Georgia, and 
John. Surprisingly correct. Uh, I also would have. I also would have accepted. I would have said you could have said I don't know, and that's fair as well because we met some contestants uh, on Sunday and Monday's episodes that we had not seen the entire season already, and we're two oh, weeks I in. I was thinking. I was thinking. Their families are watching this going. Yeah, crap! You got on here. You're not on here. <laughs> that's right. You, you just went away for a long time. It's really interesting because I was uh, chatting on the social media the other night with someone and they said, oh, this person, this and this person, that. And I went, who is this person? And someone went, oh, this is my, my good friend, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was uh, Alice Zaslavsky said, oh, this is my good friend, such and such. She's in the show too. And I went, really? She only just turned up. Jackie, Billy, Melita only turned up at the end of last week. Now I know there's 24 contestants and, and they're all in the picture if you have a look that got published by 10 in their, their publicity thing. But man, people just appeared out of nowhere, like out of the woodwork there. It's kind of like they're staggering them so we get to know them a bit better. It also means that the ones we haven't met or hadn't met by now were just pretty sort of in the middle of the pack. They did nothing too outstanding to pop up on the television, but they also did nothing horrible. Uh, it just asked. That's right. So it Oh, yeah, and they could make a decision better than Stephen, Stephen could because he just failed miserably at that uh, that army challenge where he had to make a decision and couldn't make one to save himself. I love that. I'll tell you what, that's one of my highlights. The thing where it's like, well, they're all trying to figure out how to plate a dish, which is, that's my dilemma. I'm terrible at it. And they're all standing there. They've got Reynolds on their team, mm. like this artist extraordinaire. And Gary's like, well, who's the best player on your team? Like, Reynolds. Well, where's Reynolds? Reynolds! Yeah, well, it looked heaps better than the cucumber asparagus, whatever the heck the other thing was. Well, yeah, it was amazing. It was beautiful. Nobody, yes, very good. Now, well, thank you. Congratulations. You did very well in that, <laughs> that challenge, Julie Goodwin. I was quite surprised. M O L K. Mulk's TV Talk. Julie Goodwin, what are your earliest memories of TV? What part did it play in your household? Oh, I, there used to be a show on when I was really little. And it, was, it was, oh, there was a pirate and there was a chick who looked like Alice in Wonderland and I don't know, maybe maybe I was smoking crack. I'm not going to remember that. I do remember HR Puff and stuff. Yes. Um, obviously Sesame Street. Yes. I learned the alphabets from there, and uh, I still call it Z instead of Z. <laughs> um, what else? Play school. Love play school. Love play school even more as an adult watching it with my children. You remember John? Yes, John Hamblin, yes. Yeah, filthy. <laughs> it goes right over the kids' heads, but as a mum, mm. hilarious. Oh, I... The five little dicky birds and the only one left would be the rude finger. <laughs> we talk about the camping. Camping, yes. saying how much he loves to pitch a tent in the morning. Yep. He was mm-hmm. filthy. So every time he was on, I'd get a cup and sit down and watch with the <laughs> No, I, and, and I agree because, look, I remember as a uni student, this is a sad indictment on my life, me and some mates were home from classes early or whatever and, and we whacked on the television and, you know, whatever. Uh, for some reason, we were watching Play School. It just It's how it happened, people. Uh, John Hamblin is telling this story of getting dressed to go out with a friend. And so he would, you know, put on some clothes and then the phone would ring. It would be his friend. Now, this is pre-mobile phone. So he'd pick up the handset and go, yes, hello, right? It will be, oh, wonderful. Oh, it's raining, is it? Well, I better put on some rain clothes. Thank you. And hang up and he would then put on some rain clothes. Then the phone would ring again and oh, it's got sunny. So it had to take off all his rain clothes. And so on and so forth. This went on for a good five minutes, him just putting on winter clothing, summer clothing, just all sorts of different clothing. To the, the final call, just as his friend went, what do you want? And he said, oh, it's like that. Well, fine, I'll get that on. And he hung up the phone, picked it up again and went, what sort of friend are you? And then hung the phone up again. And we were in stitches, just laughing so hard at this guy. Oh, it was brilliant. And it, yes, much loved. I think that these days, Facebook doesn't have the adult entertainment uh, angle to it anymore. <laughs> they're, they're not as intentionally second level about some of this stuff. Do you think that Eddie Perfect will bring uh, a little bit of the, the angle back to it for the parents? I do hope so. Well, he's a very funny man. Oh, he is. 
see how subtle he can be and whether or not the ABC picks up on <laughs> well, I hope he settles into it, that's for sure. Because I think that once you're calm and comfortable, you can, you know, well, we're going to do this now. And, yeah, you can throw in all of those little asides that are really only there for the parents. Yeah. Leave it to happen. Was there a show that you obsessed over or, or you know, I must watch this, this is my favourite thing as you were growing up? Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Loved Doctor Who. And we watched that sort of religiously. Um, as I was a little bit older, I loved uh, Magnum P.I. Oh. So, I mean, we're talking the days. Good moustache. Horse and carriage days where you couldn't video things. There was no such thing. Mm. You, you had to watch what was on, when it was on. You couldn't mute. You couldn't, you know, there was no remotes. We actually had a knob that had to turn. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, I, I know. I mean, and, yeah, and so, you know, the movies would come on and every year, once a year, there'd be Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, the Sound of Music mm. and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and they were special nights. Yes, nights where we would be allowed to sit up late and watch movies. Oh, um, you know, the olden days, the Brady Bunch. We watched Get Smart. I used to love. Mm. Um, yeah, but Magnum PI was one of those ones where uh, where we would sit down once a week. And I, Country Practice. Yes, remember that Country Practice was the big thing. Where were you when Molly died, Julie? Oh, I'll never forget it. I, like I was watching. I'll never forget the scene. She was sitting in that paddock and, mm. you know, the sunlight all around her. bawled my guts out. Mm. Was it really that sad or was it just that they played with your emotions? Well, they totally played with my emotions, but it was really that sad because they played with my emotions. Mm. So sad. No, I mean, you fall in love with those people. You, you know, you're with them for such a long time. Yes. But, you know, we all love Molly. What's not to love? I know. And overalls and fuzzy hair and yeah she broke she broke the spirit of all those hardened country people that thought they were uh they couldn't be except this creative little fairy could did they though she was lovely oh that scene in the hospital take my mask off kiss me take me home. Mm. Oh, i'm gonna cry now <laughs> well we we haven't really seen um a, a drama or, or you know the country practice ran twice a week at its peak, like we were getting two big hours of drama, Aussie drama, that just millions of people tuned in to watch. And we're not seeing that on TV now, are we? I wish we were. We've got so many talented people. I guess, you know, you've got, you've got Offspring is really popular. And, um, well, it was. Things like that. But yeah. No, look, I, hang on. Time. I cannot for a minute accept that Wonderland is popular. No, no. Isn't it? I've seen a lot of ads for it. Yeah, well, then you put two and two together there. Um, I think that there's <laughs> some very lovely people involved with it and lots of people that work really hard, but I just think that trying to reinvent the secret life of us isn't what it needed to be. That was a good show. Oh, iconic. Lots of you know amazing programs like that that now we're not getting. I mean, we've, got, we've had our pack to the rafters, you know. We've got winners and losers or we've got... I think so. The, the modern era... After Blue Hit, post Blue Healers. Oh, yeah, Blue Healers. Water that. There's a good bit of that in there. And then we've got the Flying Doctors that throw into the mix. We've got uh, McLeod's Daughters, all of that kind of stuff. See, this is, and a lot of those talented people that were on those shows are still around trying to work. We do like the rural theme, don't we? Oh, it connects so well with the people outside of the city. It's uh, and, and it's cheap to film out there. You can just go up to someone, hey, we want to film on your farm. Okay. It just happens. I'll do it for a hand sandwich. Yeah, there's not the big expensive sets that we need to have, you know, in in inner city Sydney or something like that. It's pretty crazy. Did you have Did you have a favourite TV theme? I love crime TV. Yes. Like fictitious crime TV. Um, you know, aside from the, I did, used to love Water Rat. Yes. Um, but I, you know, I love all the Law and Orders and all the, you know. The outside Australian ones as well. Was Rachel Griffiths? Yeah, I love Rachel. Yeah. Was Rachel? Not Rachel Griffiths. Um, Catherine McClements. Catherine McClements. Okay. Rachel obviously. Yeah, that's right. I, I know what I mean. Oh, I'm mm, definitely. Then, well, there's lots of that stuff. I'm almost 100 percent sure. <laughs> Look, let's just say that she was an uh, edit her Wikipedia page to suit. <laughs> let's do that. Apparently, you can write anything on that. 
I know I'm not important enough to have a Wikipedia page yet, but I do look forward to that moment when I do. And I'll it's. I'll just make shit up and you can go ahead and do it. I, well, that's what Wikipedia is about, right? There's lots of things that we can lean on for it to be real, but then when it comes to particularly Aussie celebrities, uh, even politicians, just put up stuff that is not true. Uh, and it's delightful. See what slips through the net. Well, I heard a very funny story from, you know, Fast Ed. Yes. He's, he's, oh, he's a gorgeous guy. But, um, I travelled with him a couple of years ago, and he told me that he's got this friend who just constantly goes in and um, adjusts his, his Wikipedia <laughs> And so I went and had a look at his Wikipedia page, and it said that he was expelled from his college for mowing um, the shape of a pedenda into the <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I showed him and he's like, oh, he's at it again. <laughs> well, I, I do know, look, getting political, that, that lots of people have their opinions of our various sides of politics and those sorts of things. Um, I do enjoy the, look, it's willful graffiti that does take place on some of our more prominent ministers and, and opposition uh, front benches. Uh, around their Wikipedia pages and then how long they tend to last on there, some of those comments or statements saying that, you know, that they're, uh, uh, I think at one point somebody claimed that Scott Morrison was the son of the devil or something like that and he was up there for weeks, no one noticed, or just let it slide. Um, it's just believed it. <laughs> so, oh, wow, noted that. Some kid in grade four doing a presentation on politicians. Scott Morrison was born in Hades. And, oh, it's crazy. Now, television is, is, as far as your life on TV, Julie, something that you come to um, later than most. You know, you haven't had your, um, you know, your time on Home and Away or Neighbours. You, you're not a journalist that spent time out. <laughs> oh, God, I would, I would watch the absolute crap out of you on Home and Away. That would be hilarious. Unintentionally. From your mouth. Jesus is. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Channel 7, isn't it? Channel yes. Won't touch people. Oh, well, their loss, I have to say. Yeah, I agree. Now, when, when you launched into this whole MasterChef thing, A, it was new. Nobody knew really what it was. We hadn't seen it other than maybe, you know, knowing that it existed as this British TV show. When you applied, did you have any context of what you were getting yourself in for? Uh, yes, because I watched the British one. Mm. It was a very civilised, you know, little cooking competition where people turned up and they went home at the end of the day and mm. it only ran for a few weeks and uh, and they just learned how to cook better and that's what I thought I was doing. I literally I thought I was entering a cooking contest that would run for a few weeks, you know, maybe on, you know, some small scale on television. Yes. Uh, did not know till I was in the top 50 that I would have to live out of home. How did they break that to you? You're going to have to live out of home. <laughs> you've made it through this far. You're not going home. You, you've made it through this far. You, in two weeks, you'll be moving into a house at Garland Court. Mm. Uh, and when we moved into the house, that, that, that was when they kind of broke it to us that they would need our phone, our keys, our oh. computers and all of that. And I said, what do you need it for? And they said, well, what do you need it for? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> so... Um, I had no concept whatsoever of what I was getting myself in for. None at all. I didn't know it was going to air six nights a week. I mean, that's nuts. Mm. And, um, but yeah, and it wasn't really till I got out that I understood what had been going on. I mean, we had some inkling because we got the papers every now and again. It's like, oh, look, it shows in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not till you get out and look over. The Burley Council workers in their high vis vests to go, yeah, Joey! <laughs> go down the street to go, wow. <laughs> and it's unlikely people watch this cooking show. Now, when you talked about getting the papers and those sorts of things, it wasn't because there was so much TV, it was so much, uh, so frequently on television, it wasn't like you guys would be in a, a pressure cooker and, and, and filming next week's eps the week before. You had filmed a fair chunk of it ahead of time, hadn't you? So when you did eventually come out of the house, it was on television still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, the way it worked for us was um, it started about, it started six weeks after we started filming. Mm. Um, started on air six weeks later, and by the time we came out, it was two weeks later. So we filmed the finale, and two weeks later, the finale went to air. Wow. 
So it was quite funny because I was walking, you know, I'd go down to the supermarket after I'd won but wasn't allowed to tell anyone and people would come up to me and go, oh, darling, you did well, never mind. <laughs> oh, thank you. Because <laughs> 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 uh, they thought it was live, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so that, that's how it worked in my year. It's changed. Yes. So it's, uh, it's different every year. And, and when, in for 2009, the first year, you guys had filmed the finale. You knew the, the winner and everything when you were let back out in public, didn't you? Yes, that's right, and that's the only year they've done that. Every other year it's either been filming dual endings or film up to knowing who the final two are, and then they come in for a Saturday, film the cook-off, everyone's basically in lockdown. Um, yeah, no, it's just the score reveal. And they, they, for a couple of years they did that. On the day mm-hmm. they were going to go to air, they would film it and uh, lock us up and um, – and and they would edit like crazy for the rest of the day and then put it to air. So, um, yeah, they, you know, there's been all different ways of going about it just to uh, prevent any kind of leak of the result. What do you make of the, the alternate ways they're doing it? I mean, the year that you did it, it's all filmed it in the can. Now, I'm sure there were some fairly nervous executives. Understandably, they want to have your family there, which involves your kids, yep. um, racing in, giving mum a big hug in the glitter and all of the stuff. The, those kids have got to keep a pretty – What's worth millions of dollars secret to a television network? No, Not say a word. With death. <laughs> by you or by the head of ten? By the producers in front of me. No, that was involved. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to watch it for themselves and mm. you spoil it for the whole country. <gasps> say anything. <laughs> and then, God love them. They're only going with five, six, and seven. My boys. Mm. I just said, I said to them, just tell people you don't know. They don't have to know that you even know. Mm. Of course, my eldest is a truth teller and he oh. can't. He said, but that's not true. I'm like, Joe, it's okay to lie. Just this one. <laughs> I can't lie. So he had to tell people that he knew but he couldn't tell them the answer or the outcome. Oh. So they copped a lot of pressure. I actually was interviewed on radio um, not long after the finale and he said, Listen, kudos to your kids because my nephew goes to school with two of them and I promised him 50 bucks and he answer out of it. Wow. I said to him, mate, that's not even funny. That's so much pressure. So unfair on a 10 and an 11-year-old. <laughs> you know. oh, wow. But they, they, they kept it to themselves. And 50 bucks in 2009, is that's a lot of money. <laughs> to, a, to a primary school kid. Yeah. Man, I could quit school and just. <laughs> it's all the money in the world. That's right. And, and I, I'm always intrigued by this dual ending thing. It's become de rigueur in particularly cooking shows now where filmed and then they do the score reveal. Now, this take, you're going to win. This take, you're going to win. How do you – it just strikes me as so strange. Yeah, I, I think I would have struggled with the whole idea of dual ending. But as far as the emotion goes, at that stage, everyone's just so – Hyper-emotional. It's not hard to be sort of overwhelmed in a happy way and then, you know, overwhelmed in a, in a I'm happy for you way. It's, it's, it's actually, um, it's quite a genuinely emotional process. And I've been there for every finale. So mm. I can tell you that the um, true emotions are running high and the families are all, you know, excited and, yeah. So it's, it's still... It's still a valid way to do it, and I guess it's important not to let that cat out of the bag. It's a very strange energy, isn't it, in the room? Because everyone's really psyched and happy and all of those sorts of things, and yet there's still so much confusion about who actually won. <laughs> and we don't find out who goes to air. Oh, so delightful. Now, the, the interesting thing, Julie, is that, of course, you know, congratulations, you're Australia's MasterChef. Um, given you're the first, there's kind of no expectations of what that means. You know, I'll put out a book, do some talking, chefing, hooray, I cook things. Um, but you've managed to perpetuate a career, not only uh, as someone who is iconic within Australia's food industry now, but also still on the TV, like you're still popping up everywhere doing cooking things, either the Today Show uh, or, you know, as you said, still popping up on MasterChef and all those sorts of things. How do the networks deal with you in this, because you're a free agent, but the fact that you're not owned by, uh, you know, a network, you're a free, you're a person. <laughs> I am a person. Um, well, I think after MasterChef, it kind of it kind of spans the networks in the way that, that none of them really wanted to do the, the bad-mouthing of it because it was so universally uh, loved. Mm. Uh, and when I went on to Channel 9, onto the Today Show, you know, they they were quite happy to plug 
MasterChef. They called me MasterChef every single week. They used the word, so they were they were sort of it was fine for them to to actually almost cross promote a different um, networks program. Um, I'm not on the Today Show anymore. That ended a little while ago with a, a new executive producer who's not running the um, regular cooking segments anymore, mm. uh, which I was devastated about because I love that job. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Channel 10 will still have me on. They've had me on quite a lot of things. I've been on the ABC. Um, mm. Seven, because of MKR, won't go near MasterChef. Sure. So I've, I've never been on Network 7. Um but yeah, the other the other two networks are quite happy to share. <laughs> now, in, in doing the stuff for ten, have they, have you been on uh, Studio Ten yet? The new morning thing there. Oh yeah, I've been on Studio Ten a couple of times. They're a great group of people. I loved it. I loved it. So fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Joe Hilderbrand. Oh, I, t- I love it. I mean, I work with her on Channel Nine, and mm. I was just delighted to uh, be able to turn up on the Studio Ten and see her again. And yeah, because of what you do, the fact that it's you know cooking things, you can really. Uh, be spread across a broad range of product too from a television perspective. It's not just we have to pigeonhole Julie as the cooking thing. It's, you know, you, there's the Australian Woman's Weekly thing, turn up on this, there's a something else beyond that. Um, you can cook a bit, you can talk a bit. That, that's a really great position to be in. Well, it is. I get called for some funny things. I mean, I was on um, Current Affair a couple of weeks ago talking about, you know, cross-contamination with raw chicken. So you just never know <laughs> random phone calls are going to come through in the day. This might be a tough one. I understand if you can't answer it, but uh, it's certainly no names, no pack drill. What's the weirdest thing that you've turned down? Uh, pimple cream. Wow. As a spokesperson. Yeah. As some, like I would have had to say that I had suffered acne and I was <laughs> now because of this product. Um, having never suffered acne, obviously, <laughs> I can't say that. I've actually never taken an endorsement that's not genuine for me. Mm. It's just not worth it. I've turned down. I've turned down a lot of money because they're not products I would use. Um, so I'll only ever speak about things that are a genuine alignment with what I do. Look at you with your standards. Oh, uh, look. You know what? I could have dropped them and I could have been living on an island somewhere, but um, I wouldn't have a career anymore because. I think with food, ahead of a lot of other things, food is about authenticity and trust, you know. You read my recipe, you've got to be able to trust that you do what it says and it's going to work. And Mm. if I start spruiking things that are disingenuous for me, uh, the trust is gone, the career is gone. So, yeah, seriously, if if somebody rings for, you know, an opportunity, if the product's in my cupboard, then, yeah, I'll speak for it because I believe in it, I use it, I already use it, and, uh, and it's... It's something that I I have no problem endorsing, and reasonably so. I think if if only we could look to our uh, celebrities and stars and see more of that take place, I think it would be a, a better position. But of course, there'd always be another zero for something else to try and coerce somebody else into it, wouldn't there? <laughs> well, maybe you never know. Never know. Money talks, I suppose. Well, how how did the opportunity on I'm a Celebrity come about for you? Uh, I received an invitation in my email. Um, outlining what it was, and uh, I read it out to my my beautiful, long-suffering husband, and I just laughed. I said, oh, God, I'd never do it. <laughs> and he said, oh, yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> really? <Did> I? Okay. <laughs> Honey, the boys have got a lot more school left. Yes, you will. Yeah, he knows you will. How so? Just a quick aside to that. Do you manage yourself with Mick or do you have someone that sort of wards these things off and fends off some of the biggest slings and arrows? Yeah, no, I've got, I've got a manager and the, it's the same management company that I was handed in MasterChef. So we had oh, to wow. mm. stay with them ever since. So we're talking over six years now um, because they're brilliant. They're just, they've really, and the fact that I guess I've still got um, a bit of a, a bit of a career going on and a bit of a profile going on is a testament to the fact that they didn't let me become sort of saturated in the early days and, and write myself off by, you know, I've, I've received good advice from them over the years. So, um, and they do, yeah, they're very helpful. I, I don't, I've never considered those sort of um, management fees to be a cost. It's more of an investment for me. I, don't, I couldn't manage without them, to be honest. It would be very easy for the overexposure thing to happen, wouldn't it? Particularly off the back of, congratulations, you're Australia's MasterChef. Now you need to be on everything. Absolutely. And that, and that happened. And it was it kind of made my heart break a little bit, some of the things that I had to literally turn down 
just because it would have meant I was on two, I would have been on every bloody ad on every ad <laughs> and, and people would have just gone get her off my screen yeah so um but you know as a result it's you know six years down the track and I'm still being asked to write cookbooks and I'm still being asked to appear on bits and pieces so I'm very happy what do you make of we will come back to we've put a pin in Africa we're still getting there what do you make of your fellow alumnus uh, sorry alumni that have managed to to maintain the profile in the same way whether it's cooking shows or blogs or, or people like Adam for example that have branched out into sort of broader foodie travel show stuff Oh, look, I, I think it's fantastic. I think if you look across the, the range of people who've come out of MasterChef, it's incredible how many have literally turned their lives around, changed their lives, mm. pursued their dreams, achieved their goals, and and all we see are the ones that are in the media. But can I tell you, there are dozens and dozens more who've opened the cafe, who've started the cafe, mm. who, who make the preserves and sell them into the big stores. You know, it's awesome it's really awesome it really is a vehicle for change and i think that the fact that so many of us have been able to make a career out of it just speaks to the fact that people are still interested in food and in cooking and in where things come from and and you know how to make better meals and better choices for their families we have such an interesting food culture in australia don't we that is so broad it's built from such a a reflection of us as a society in that there's all these different flavors and tastes and we've got people that specialise in, uh, you know, this specific type of cooking, and then we've got broader fusion things, and that's so. It's really quite an amazing time to enjoy food in Australia, isn't it? Oh, it's extraordinary, and you can't even appreciate it properly till you travel overseas and see just how, you know, how beautiful other cultures food are. Mm. Very, very monochromatic. You know, it, it's the same, uh, and almost every restaurant you go into has the same staple dishes on it like that we are so lucky and the fact that we are so multicultural gives us opportunities mm. to eat foods that we never would have seen if, if we didn't have that that broad spectrum of society at our doorstep yeah I, I totally agree someone who in my other life gets to go to america and canada relatively regularly i haven't been able to put my finger on it until you said it just then it, it's it is monochrome there's so many uh, you know, you go to such and such a restaurant and it, and the restaurant culture in America particularly is so different to here. Um, but that there is that six or eight dishes that is, well, that's their version of this. Everybody's got their version of that dish and that dish and that dish. Every restaurant, no matter if it's high-end or low-end, has a burger. They've all got a mac and cheese. They've mm. all got, you know, that, that's what I mean. And beautiful, beautiful food there, to be sure, but it's just so different from here. Oh, I've had some of the best barbecue in my life in America. Oh, my goodness. Those people know how to lock that stuff away. Don't they ever. So, Africa, you get to the hey, how about it, and the decision is made. You decide to go. Now, did you know you would be uh, a first in or a later in when you got the invitation? I was told that I'd be an intruder, but I believed I was going to be an earlier intruder than what I was. So how long did they have you lock it away? Did you get to see any of it? on telly before you went to Africa or were you in Africa when it started? No, I was, I was here. Um, so I got to watch the first uh, three episodes. Mm. So I knew who was in there, which was great. Mm. I was really stressed about turning up and not knowing who was <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if people didn't know who I was, but I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, so it was nice to be able to see who everybody was. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I think I would have known them anyway. But... Um, so, and then I went over there and I was supposed to go on a couple of days after I landed, but they kept me out for another week and a half. So I was, I mean, it, it, it wasn't too big of a nightmare because I was in an African game park going on drives and, you know, seeing the animals and things. Nice. So I was desperate to get in. I, was, mm. you know, I didn't end up going in until two weeks in. So I missed out on quite a big chunk of the experience. Yeah, but then when you came in, you got to be the spice that opened up, you know. <laughs> well, yes, that, but uh, I think we've been lucky, Julie, that we've been able to spend a little bit of time, you know, per- personally away from the glare of media and stuff. And I think I can attest to the Julie Goodwin that we saw on I'm a Celebrity. was That's Julie Goodwin, people. She's just delightful and lovely and hilarious and uh, so willing to get in and get involved. Uh, and I think that the audience responded really well to that and to the, the broader cast. I think it was such a great mix. You guys look like you're having so much fun, rice and beans to, to the side. You're having a great time. Yeah, look, mostly. I mean, we we got very bored. There's nothing to do. It's quite a small mm. camp. 
and we were actually only allowed to go to the waterfall um, sort of on at specific times and under supervision and only so many of us at a time. It wasn't just, oh, let's wander up. Yeah. Um, so that was quite a controlled situation. And I don't know if you noticed, but until they brought in those big, weird thrown things made out of sticks, there were no chairs. So sitting on the bunks was really uncomfortable. So basically mm. you're walking around doing stuff or you're lying flat on your back. So people slept a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you get really excited, for instance, if you had some dirty clothes and you get to wash clothes. Like I call it my thing to do list. And, and, and you know, you try not to do it too early in the morning because then you've ticked off the one thing on your thing to do list and there was nothing else to do for the rest of the day. So it's a little bit mind numbing. And I, I just thought it was so fantastic that Dado got in there and stuff. Craft club. Knitting needles and all that. And the British producers actually said they've worked on the UK version for 14 years and no one's ever done that. So, so funny. Handmaids have never created board games out of mud and rock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It, it, it was, I can imagine the boredom because part of that, the way that they break you and get you in, and so involved in stuff is, is there, I would give them no input, just let them be in camp, get on each other's nerves, and then we'll get the, the audience to pick a couple of people to go on this challenge where we'll either make them eat disgusting things or fully immerse themselves in disgusting things. Yeah, well, either or. And, the, I mean, the fact that we were starving, that's why people do those challenges. <laughs> Hunger is a powerful motivating force. You didn't get a whole bunch of food. Like, even when you did win and you got all of the, all of the things, all the stars, it still wasn't that big a reward at the end of the day as far as food went. It was still barely anything. Yeah. And it was more about the excitement of finding out what was in the bag than the actual eating of it because there was never very much to eat, um, never very much. I've never been so hungry in my whole life. Oh. I could eat dinner and a few minutes later my stomach would be growling again. Yep. Um, I mean, I couldn't eat the beans. I, I stopped after two days. I just, like, you know how you have that visceral reaction yep. to some things? My throat shut and I just could not could not put them in my mouth. <laughs> 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 oh, God, the smell. And the, poor, the guys were drinking, they called it bean juice. So the, because these are dried beans we were given, like mm. tinned beans, they're dried beans that were soaked in the water out of the river and then boiled. And all this, there was all this scum in the water. It was absolutely foul. And they'd say, who wants bean juice? Oh. It smelled like urine. And I would say, you know that that's just the filthy water you boil the beans in. It's not juice. You know that, don't you? And I'd go, stop ruining it. <laughs> Do you want a bean juice? I'd rather put my own eyes out. You enjoy. You enjoy. <laughs> Get involved with the bean juice. Oh. Well, look, hunger, hunger is a, a powerful motivating factor, as you mentioned, and, and it, it also is something that hunger plays on your mind and start you start doing all sorts of things. Was Maureen McCormick as crazy as she appeared on television? Oh, she's that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she's a darling lady. She's mm. a sweet, sweet, sweet lady. She doesn't have a bad thing to say about anyone, but she's mad as a cut snake. Is it just the bubble that she's lived in for so long or, or the alleged other inputs she's had in her life or is it just that? Oh, it's, it's impossible to say really, but she's, she, she's, she's quite late. <laughs> um, she herself quite a lot and she's just she's very affectionate. She had no problem invading people's space. I noticed that. No boundaries whatsoever. Like if that's what Hollywood does to you people, package me up and get me over there straight away. Well, if it does, but <laughs> no, it, it, but she's, it, yeah, like I say, a lovely lady. She loves talking about food and craft and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, she's quite, quite loopy. The other great romance that we need to speak of when it comes to uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Chrissy and Joel. Oh, yes. Now, this was a, a divine little pairing that I, I think – when you see it on paper, you might go, oh, yeah, yeah, I think there might be something in that. But to see it play out on our television screens, uh, Joel Creasy is a very funny man, a very, very funny guy. And you put him in a situation where he doesn't have a lot to do. He's an entertainer. He's going to find things to do. Chrissy Swan is also a very funny lady. She's also very entertaining. But she knows the benefit of letting someone else be funny and has, between you and her, the two best laughs on television. 
It's amazing. And, and those guys, quite legitimately, they talked about on the show, we're going to get an office together. They got an office together when they came back. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Isn't that funny? I just went and saw Joel do his stand-up show, The Hurricane. Oh, yes. And at the end, all last week. So funny. And I, there's a whole there's a whole bits in it about the jungle. Mm. How, how hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> his observations of it. So he's a very funny. If, if anyone's got a chance to go and see him, just do your laugh until you hurt. Yeah, oh, there is no question. I saw his show last year, and it was uh, very, very funny. I'm sure that this now, coupled with all of his exposure in the jungle and the craziness that was, let alone all of his other insights that he had going into it, it's going to be an amazing show. So, yeah, definitely see uh, Joel Creasy if and when he comes to your town. Now, Julie Goodwin, what do you think you – know, I, I want you to put your, your seeing glasses on here. You're, I'm an experienced television person now. Do you think that there will be another season of I'm a Celebrity? Given you've done your time, you've, you've spent the thing, you've braved the, the way for many others, will the celebrities line up for another season? I think so. I think so. I think having seen the first one, you can see that it was, you know, people were portrayed in a positive light, that it was lighthearted, it was funny. Yep. It wasn't nasty or backstabbing. Mm. It's come out of it looking awful. And, uh, and it's, you know, I mean, truly, it's an opportunity to raise a big chunk of cash for charity. Yes. Um, you know, when you're in a position of being called a celebrity and being offered the opportunity to, to raise money like that, it, I really think if, if it's possible for you to put your life on hold for those few weeks, that it's, it's almost an obligation to do that. If you're lucky enough to be considered for something where you get to actually play for $100,000 for a charity, mm. yeah, I, I think it, I think it's an opportunity worth considering. Well said, I th- and, and entirely valid too. You're right. There is uh, an element of social responsibility that comes with fame and celebrity, isn't there? And that's not often discussed or even acknowledged, particularly in Australia. I actually um, believe that that's the reason the whole MasterChef thing happened in my life. Mm. Um, I met my husband in a Vincent Paul youth group, um, and I think that. Since MasterChef, I've got so much more leverage to, to do work for charities, and I, I think that's why it happened. That's my I believe that, and that's why I sort of try and do you know mm-hmm. use it to for, as that kind of leverage. Well, that, it, it, it's super important. That's a very cool thing. Now, Julie, we've come towards the end of our conversation. There is a couple of questions I need to ask you before we wrap up. You okay. you mentioned before. This is the serious part of the podcast. You mentioned before that Doctor Who was a big part of your early life. Yes. Are we a fan of the, the, the modern Doctor Who series? You know what? Because of my 19-year-old son, yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> so <laughs> when, they, when they had the big um, finale, yes. that, a few months ago, we both got up really, really early to watch it. And at the very end when Tom Baker come, came out, yep. He spoke before you saw him, and as soon as he spoke, I gasped. I said, oh, my God, it, that's Tom Baker, and started crying. <laughs> slightly, slightly Well, no, no, that's a good thing. My wife's the same. She's she, uh, And I, I look back and go, yeah, Tom Baker was Doctor Who for me. That's it, because that was the time when I got into it. But Michelle was much broader than that, uh, and she is now uh, indoctrinating our children with the repeats yeah. of the modern Doctor Who uh, including some episodes that are morning episodes. They don't get watched at night because they're a little bit scary. A little bit scary, yep. A little bit, you know, we don't want to see the weeping angels in people's dreams oh, and things. Don't know, no, mm. no, yeah, yeah, and, and climbing stairs and everything. Like it's, <laughs> it's a whole new uh, experience. Mulks TV Talk, the podcast. Julie, if people, if people want to follow you, find you, uh, and interact with you in a social media nature. How can they do that? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at underscore Julie Goodwin. And on Facebook, I've got no idea what I am. Julie Goodwin, Cook, Live, Love is my page. Excellent. And people can also come and learn how to cook from you in the very flesh, can't they? Absolutely. My cooking school at North Gosford is called Julie's Place, and the website for that is juliesplace.com.au. You can also find that by juliegoodwin.com.au. And we have an absolute ball. We we learn how to cook stuff together. We eat together, you know, share the meal, have a wine. Yes. Yeah. So on brand. <laughs> <laughs> we 
I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Well, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank you for asking me. I always enjoy talking. Well, it's a wonderful thing. And look, thank you everyone else for listening in and joining us this week on Mogs TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mogs TV Talk and find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash Mogs TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favourite podcasting app, and please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Julie Goodman say... Uh, huh? Is that my cue? Good night. <laughs> <laughs>